Well, good afternoon, King's Arms. Good afternoon to everybody here in person and those of you online. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you all this morning. It really is. And um, if you want your notices to go well, never ask your pastor to do notices. <laughs> Absolute. I mean, can we give a round of applause for the guys on the slides? <laughs> whose job it is to make sure the pastor looks like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> now, just to let you know, they've banned Toppy from doing notices in Jubilee. He's not allowed to do notices because it's just like nobody knows where they're going, what they're doing, and it's just an absolute nightmare. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to jump straight into the Bible, if that's okay. I'm going to read from Psalm 3. Um, I tried to read my, it from the actual Bible this morning, but then I realized my eyesight is not what it used to be. So I'm going to use, our, you know, praise God for technology, hey? Um, or else I'll be here putting glasses on and off. So I'm just going to read it from my iPad. So Psalm 3, uh, follow me. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousand of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be upon your people. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the time of worship, Lord God. Thank you that we can live in a country where we are free to lift our hands, to worship you, to honor you, to give you all the glory that's due your name. So, Father, at the outset of this sermon, this message, Lord God, I do want to say, Father, be glorified in this place. We invite your presence here, Lord God, that you will speak through me. I pray, Father, as you speak through me, that you will prepare the hearts of your children to receive your word. I pray that there will be insight for living. I pray for changed lives, Lord God. I pray for freedom today in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father God, that your children will be edified and your name glorified in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen, amen and amen. Well, good afternoon once again. And um, some of you might be wondering, how many coliosos are there? <laughs> it's only four of us, but we get everywhere. Because I understand that you had my son TJ here a few weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, that was my, my, my youngest, believe it or not. I know I don't look old enough, do I? Um, um, and uh, yeah, TJ is my youngest son. I've got an older son called Femi, and I'm married to Toppy, who leads Jubilee Church London. And uh, one thing you probably all do know about my sons is that they are musicians. And um, they are very, very talented musicians. And... People often say to me, Did, are you musical? I always get that. Are you musical? Do they get their musical ability from you or is it from their dad? And I look at them and I want to say it's me. <laughs> but I know that the Lord is looking and he's hearing and I say, no, it's not. Because I cannot sing to save my life. I cannot even sing happy birthday. It was my daughter-in-law's birthday yesterday, and I wanted to sing happy birthday down to her on the phone. And I thought I probably shouldn't because I might frighten the poor girl, so I didn't. And um, 
So no, I cannot sing and I cannot play an instrument and I am not tall. Yes, I did give birth to them. They are mine. I carried them in my belly for nine months. Um, the other thing they often would say, because my, both my boys, what you probably don't know about them also, is that they're very sporty as well. They love sports. So from a very young age, they were into football, basketball, rugby, you name it. TJ played rugby, you know, big guy. Um, and he was the scary one on the pitch. You know, from the age of 14, 15, he was that tall. He was six foot at that age, and he was big. And um, they'd get onto the rugby pitch, and you could see all the other kids were like, <gasps> he'd, won the, he'd won the battle already, like, just by standing there. So, again, people will say to me, are you sporty? And the answer to that is no. I actually do not like sports at all. Um, I used to say to them when they were little, why do you get so upset when your football team wins? They won last week. It's only fair, isn't it? To win one, lose one. <laughs> that was my logic. Um, and they'd give me this look as if to say, really, what planet are you from, mum? Um, so, yeah, the, 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 but the interesting thing about me, just to share a little bit, is that one of the reasons why I don't play sports, don't do exercise or anything like that, is because, <laughs> because as a child, I never did growing up. I never took part in sports, if you can believe such a thing. Um, I was born with a congenital heart defect, which meant that my heart was quite weak and um, I got breathless very quickly. So, um, my mum even when I was fit enough to take part in sports, will threaten the life of any PE teacher who made me do anything remotely sporty. So I spent most of the time, I was that kid who just sat down and watched everybody else. Um, so growing up, I never really took part in sports. Um, I, I, I was so unfit, I really was, because all I did was, you know, walk. Um, well, then as you get older, you begin to realize that, you know, gravity is taking over. And so, <laughs> and so you're kind of trying to rein that thing in a little bit. So, so, you, so I thought to myself, I better start doing something. I better start doing something. Um, and so a bit by bit, I started to exercise a little bit health just to keep my health in a good shape. Anyway, fast forward a few years and um, we hit COVID. And we all get one hour to go outside and do something. A friend of mine said to me, you know what, why don't we take up jogging? Now, one of the things that you don't realize, when you don't take part in sports and all kinds of, one of the things that always dogged me most of my life was fear. Fear of falling over, fear of looking silly, fear of doing that. You know, it was just, I lived a life full of fear, really, which stopped me from doing a lot of things. So her saying, let's go jogging, my first thought was, what if I fall over? But then I thought, come on, you, you're a grown, come, just try it. So we went, we, you know, so I started to jog during COVID and I managed to get my, my running up to about 3K. And I know it doesn't sound a lot, but for me, it was just like running a marathon. And um, so we come towards the end of COVID and she said, look, we've started a good discipline here. Why don't we carry on this jogging thing? And she said, in order for us to keep focus, why don't we enter into a 10K race? And even as I'm saying it, it's ridiculous. Why don't we enter into this 10K race? So we've got something to focus on and something to go for. So I said, yeah, I mean, 3K, 10K, same difference, isn't it? Um, so, so we sign up for a 10K race and the time is coming closer. And she's saying to me, have you practiced? 
you know, have you increased your speed? I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, sort of. But it takes, it's an hour of running. And when I do it, it's an hour and a half. So, and I'm a busy woman. I'm like, okay, I'll do it when we get nearer to the time. So we get nearer to the time. And I increased it to about, I, was, I managed to do about 8K, to be honest, around my neighborhood. Then I went on holiday two weeks before race day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go on holiday, the summation of my, if that's a word, of my exercises, I get up, I walk to the beach, I lie down, and at the end of the day, I get up, I pick up my bag, and I walk back. I might do a trip to the bar to get some fermented grape juice, but apart from that, nothing much happens. And so it's race day, and it happens to be the hottest day of the year. I don't even remember. We had one ridiculously hot day. Yeah, that's the day. And so, the, you know, the gun goes on your mark, set, go, and I start. And I'm not kidding you, 2K in, I was like, you are in so much trouble. You are just, I was, I was tired. 2K in, I was tired. So I had this great plan. I would run round. And I knew that there were some people who signed up to do 5K and there's some people who signed up to do 10K. So what I will do is that as we get to the 5K, I will just pretend that I signed up to do 5K and I will run off with the 5K runners. Brilliant plan, except what I didn't realize is that if you ran 10K, you had a, a green badge. If you ran 5K, you had an orange badge. So as the 5K runners were coming, the stewards were ushering them left and they shoehorned me to the right. Uh, and it, it's almost as if they knew that people were going to run away. They were like, no, you're going that way. And I go that way and they're barriers. So I, that, I can't do anything. I've got to keep running. I said, okay, Kemi, you are so dead today. I kept running. We get to about the 6K mark. I was like, I had nothing left in me. My legs were aching. I was breathless. My, I was sweating. I was pouring water on myself. By the time I got to 7K, I was walking. I was like, I'll give up now. There were a few of us who were in that I give up you know, circle. And so we just kind of started walking. I, mean, I think I probably walked a whole K. We got to about the 8K. And the runners who had finished running, gone home, had their lunch, come back, <laughs> had now come to meet us and began to cheer us on. And for some reason, I found strength for somewhere to keep going. That I felt as if I was in a battle for my life. But the fact that I had people alongside me saying, come on, you can do this. You can do this. And I dug deep. I really did dig deep. And I began to run again. I looked up and I probably got to about the 9K mark and I could see the finish. And I thought, I can do this. Oh, yes, it, it, it felt as if I was in a battle for my life. I mean, at some point I was hallucinating because I thought I saw camels. I'm not, no joke, if you go and look on my Instagram page and scroll down, you will see a picture of me having finished my race and a picture of camels. And there is an explanation. It all makes sense if you read it. But I really felt as if there was no way that I was going to carry on, that I had nothing left in me, that this battle that I was in, that I put myself in, by the way, was going to finish me off. But the truth is that as ridiculous as my race story sounds. There are times in life when you feel as if you are running a race, where you feel as if you are in the middle of the battle, and it feels as if you have nothing more to give. There are times when it's going to feel as if, I don't think I can take one more step. I don't think I can handle one more thing. I don't think I can stand my ground one more time. And the truth for every single one of us is that battles become part of life. 
They are definitely part of life. And that's why this morning I want to talk to us about faith in the battle. That, that, that God is promising us that he will see us through the battle, but we need to have faith in the battle. Can you say amen? But a sermon about faith, what I often find is that when I preach about faith, people are in one or two categories. That if you have been a Christian for a long time, you have heard a sermon about faith. You have read about faith. You have talked about faith. In fact, you probably have encouraged somebody else in their faith walk. But what tends to happen is that if we are not careful, we start out with faith. But somewhere along the line, we end up in the flesh. And what we need to do is continually reappraise our walk with God. That when we are in the battle, we need to look at ourselves and say, actually, are we still walking in faith or are we beginning to walk in flesh? Because if you're not careful, the cycle just continues to repeat itself and you become this kind of Christian who is up today, down tomorrow, up today, down tomorrow. But God is saying to us that no matter what the situation is, that we continue to walk in faith. Amen? That we walk in faith. If you don't do that, what tends to happen is that your faith becomes something theoretical rather than practical. So you know a lot about faith. You can quote all the verses on faith, but when the rubber hits the road, you are not walking in faith, you're walking in flesh. Or maybe it's your theology that if you're not really reappraising yourself, your theology, which is formal, becomes more formal than it is functional. But there is nothing wrong with having a theology of faith as long as you put that faith into action. Amen. And so I want to just walk us through very quickly this afternoon. What does it look like to have faith in the battle? Because the truth is that in the reality of the world that we live in is that believers are in one or three positions. You are either on your way into a battle or you're in the middle of a battle or you're exiting the battle. That's it. <laughs> because... We haven't been promised a battle-free life. If anything, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulations. But then what does he say? He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. So we cannot live this lifestyle as if to say, actually, no, I'm just going to sail through. Nothing's going to happen. Believe me, I have been a Christian more than 30 years and I have been through one battle after the other. But here's the thing. Every single time I've been in the middle of the battle, he has seen me through. Amen. And my prayer is that for as many people here who are walking through a battle today, that the Lord Almighty, he will walk you through it and you will exit it with a testimony in Jesus' name. I'm talking to the person who's in a difficult marriage where actually you're saying to yourself, to death do us part, I don't know if I can make it till next month. I'm talking to that person who you're mourning a child, but your child hasn't died. They've just walked away from the Lord. I'm talking to that person who's battling with a health condition right now and you have prayed about it, you've sought God's face, you've had people lay hands on you, you've fasted, but yet it's still there. I'm talking to that person who you feel as if you are stuck in a rut, like you're looking at your life and you're thinking, actually, I thought by now I would have been there, but I still find myself here. I still find myself struggling in my career, in my education, in my finances. I still find myself struggling with my mental health. Those are real life battles that if I was to say, show me your hands, raise your hands, I bet that most people in this room will say, yes, one of those is me. That is the reality of the life 
that we live in. The trials that we walk through threaten to steal something of the joy, the peace, and the hope of Christ that is in you. But I want to say, don't, don't let it. Don't let it. Because Jesus will see you through in Jesus' name. But here's the important thing. When the battles of life come, what determines whether you're able to endure through the battle is a function of who is holding on to you and who you are looking to. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus has got you. He's holding on to you. But my question to you this afternoon is, are you looking to him? Because what the picture that comes to my mind as a mom really is of your child who's been scared by something or spooked by something and they are running and they're scared and they're, they're thrashing about and you've got hold of the child and the child is pulling away and is not quite sure what to do and you're saying, hey, 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 look to me. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. Keep that picture in mind because that is what Jesus is to us. That he has got us by the hand. But we need to look to him because it's in looking to him that we realize that actually we are not alone. Like that song we sang, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. That he has got you in the palm of his hands, but you need to turn your face and you need to gaze upon his beauty. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God faith is the ingredient we need to have in order to be able to look to Jesus because despite all the shaking in our world, and there's a lot of shaking in our world, but God calls us to just live in one way, and that is by faith. There is no other way to do it but to live by faith. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, today that you take that word seriously. Because, you see, it's easy to have faith before the battle, but when you are in the middle of the battle, it's a totally different story. It's a totally different story. So I want to talk to us with the time I've got left. What does faith look like in the middle of a battle? And I want to just go back into the scriptures to give you an, an example of somebody that I always look at whenever I look at somebody, a man of faith, and it's, the, it's David, King David. And we're going to go back into David uh, to Samuel, and I'm going to sort of narrate, the, summarize the story between chapters 13 to 15. So we all know who King David is, and um, he was a man who was called by God. He went while he was tending sheep. God sent uh, Samuel to him to anoint him as king. So he was chosen. He was called by God. And this King, king David, you know, he ruled over Israel. He fought many battles, and he won so many battles. He was an amazing, amazing warrior for the Lord. Not just that, he united the kingdoms. Also, he reintroduced worship into Jerusalem. He brought worship back into Israel. He brought the Ark of Covenant back to where it belonged. So this was a guy who knew the Lord, who walked with the Lord. And then he had a time of peace. There was no more war on the outside. There was peace everywhere. But there was war happening right in his own household. How many of you know that? 
the, 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 the biggest battles we fight are not from the outside, but they're actually happening right on the inside. Those are the hardest, toughest battles to fight. Well, for David, this was what was happening in his home. And the background really is that um, you need to go back to chapter 13. It tells us the story of Tamar and Amnon. Really a devastating story in the Bible where Amnon is the son of David and Tamar is David's daughter. And I tell you, David had many wives and many concubines. So he had lots of children who were not uh, full siblings, but half siblings. So Amnon and Tamar were half siblings. And Amnon long story short he he entices he lures he tricks his sister to come to him and he rapes his own sister and so this really is where i'm picking up the story from and i just want to read to you so all this has happened in david's household his own son has raped his sister his david's daughter and at the end of that it's 2 Samuel 13 verses 21 to 22 says this when king david heard of all these things he was angry he was very angry but Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister. Now, Absalom is David's son as well, but he is a full brother of Tamar. And so this thing has happened to Tamar, his sister. In fact, the Bible tells us that Tamar lived the life of a desolate woman in the house of Absalom for the rest of her life. So you can imagine how angry Absalom would be. But here's the thing in that verse. It says David... David, really, yeah, he was angry, but he didn't do anything about it. It tells us he was angry and then that was it. He didn't address the sin, the awful thing that had happened in his own family. He didn't address it. But here we have Absalom, who was angry, but then decided to do something about it. Except it took Absalom two years to begin to enact a plan. He, he planned it and then he was going to execute it, but it took him two years to do it. He had kept revenge and hatred in his heart for two years. He was bitter. So he decided to go up to his father. He said to his father, he said, I want to have a feast for you and my brothers in the wilderness. Why don't you come with me? David said, actually, it's not a good idea. Absalom pleaded, eventually David gave in and said, okay, you and your brothers go, but I will stay behind. Absalom takes his brothers out into the wilderness and he orders for Amnon to be executed, to be killed. So the servants kill Amnon, all the brothers flee. The word gets back to David that all your sons are dead. Eventually he realizes it's just Amnon that was killed and David would have known what was going on here. Now, Absalom knew that he could no longer return back to the palace, so he ran. He ran away to a place called Gesher, which is where his, mo his mother came from, and he stayed there for another three years. Eventually, he pleaded if he could come back into Jerusalem, and David said, yes, but I don't want to see you in the palace. You live out there. I'll stay here. Another two years, he didn't get to see his father. Long story short, he pleaded again. Eventually, David said, yes, you can come and see me. I mean, David was grieving. He was grieving for his son that was killed. He was probably grieving for his daughter that was molested. And he was grieving for his son Absalom that he hadn't been able to see for a long time. I mean, this is a family in disarray. Eventually, they, 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 they make up or, 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 you know, David forgives Absalom. They hug and he thinks that is it. Except Absalom goes away and begins to plot how he's going to overthrow his father. He goes to the city gate, and whenever people have issues or, or disputes, he will settle their disputes. He will say to him, if I were king, this is what I would have done. But hey, you know those kind of people. 
he would gather men to himself. I mean, there's something called an Absalom spirit. <laughs> he would gather people to himself. He would, and eventually he gathered enough people to himself that he was able to say that they can declare him king. And so they, the trumpets went out and they declared Absalom king in Hebron. David hears this and he knows exactly what this means. It means that Absalom is going to come back into Jerusalem, kill David, overthrow him, devastate the place. And David decided, you know what? I don't want him to come in and attack Jerusalem. I need to flee from my life. And so David runs away. The king of Israel has to flee for his life and leave his throne. And as he's leaving his throne, he leaves his concubines behind. He faces not just the devastation of his family, but also humiliation. Because to make matters worth, his right-hand man, Ahithophel, then crosses over to Absalom's side and advises Absalom, you know, if you want to really put your stamp on this thing, this is what you need to do. You need to take your father's concubines to the top of the roof and you need to rape every single one of them in the sight of Israel. And that will really let people know that you're in charge. So David is leaving Jerusalem knowing all this is going on. Not just that, as he's going, this guy called Shimea, who is a descendant of Saul, begins to pick up the rocks and throw it at him and throw insults at him. I mean, this is awful. This is, this is just devastating. David does not respond. He just keeps going. And when I think about all the things that this man has walked through, the shame, the humiliation, the devastation, and then to think that in the middle of all this, not before, not after, but right in the middle of everything that is going on, he wrote the psalm that I read to you earlier, Psalm 3. In the middle of the worst time of his life, he took his pen and he began to write, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many are those who have risen up against me? How many are those who are saying, you have no salvation in God? But then he says, but you, O oh Lord, are my shield. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. He goes on to say, he says, but I lay down and I slept but, and I woke again because you, O oh Lord, you sustained me. He says, I will not be afraid of the thousands that come against me. I will not be afraid of the people who have surrounded me and said all things against me. I will not be afraid of them. He says, arise, O oh Lord, and save me. Strike my enemies in the cheek and shatter the, che the teeth of the wicked. But then I love the way that David ends that psalm. He says, salvation belongs to you, O Lord. Your blessings upon your people. Amen. That's how to have faith in the middle of a battle. Where you decide, actually, no matter what is going on around me, I choose to look at the faithful God. And so with a the short time I have, I want to speak to you. I want to just give you three things that I recognize that David did in the middle of a battle. And I want to do this because maybe you're here today and you find yourself in the middle of a battle. Maybe you're in the middle of a bad year. Maybe you're in the middle of a bad season. Maybe it's, you know, those things that I spoke about earlier, you will say, actually, that's me. But here's the thing I want you to believe and I want you to take away today that no matter what it is that is going on in your situation, Jesus is near. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. I mean, the worship this just now, everything just points to, I felt as if I don't even need to preach. Just hear the words that we sang in worship. 
and recognize that he does not leave you or forsake you. To have faith in the middle of the battle is number one, to remember that God cares. In remembering that God cares, remember the character of God. We sang it today. He is a good, good father. He is good. His goodness and mercies follow us all the days of our lives. And so when you're walking through something difficult and the enemy is trying to tell you that you have been left alone, no one cares about you, remember that God is good. And because he's good, he's only going to be able to do good things for you. Amen. So always keep that in the forefront that, Lord, I know things are not looking right at the moment. I know things are difficult at the moment, but I choose to believe that you are good and you are working this thing out for my good. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord that he is working it out for your good, that remember that God is good. And because he is good, David said this, many are my foes, many are those rising against me, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. When the Bible talks about a shield, it's not talking about those little things that you used to get from Toys R Us. No, a shield was as big as a door. It covered the whole frame of a person. When the Bible tells us that God is a shield, it means that he protects you. Not only is a shield in front of you, he's a shield to your side, he's a shield to your back, he's a shield to your top. No fiery darts of the enemy can penetrate because Jesus is your shield. Can you shout amen? I'm sorry, I'm African. There's going to be a lot of call and response this morning. Are we blessed? Okay, I'll keep going. Not only is he a shield, he is your glory. He redeems you. Whatever it is that the enemy has stolen from you, my prayer is that the Lord will restore in the name of Jesus. Not only is your glory, he will lift your head. He will lift your head above your enemies so that when the, when the fiery darts of the enemies come, oh, you'll dodge it, but then you'll rise up again because he is the lifter of your head. The Bible says in Psalm 27 verse 6, it says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. May the Lord restore your dignity and lift your spirit in Jesus' name. Remember that God cares. Remember to call on God, to call on God because he hears and when you call on God, you call on God in prayer. And I said it this morning, and it's not just about individual times of prayer. I want to encourage you, church, be part of the prayer meetings here. Be part of corporate prayer. Even when you don't know how to pray, being part of corporate prayer will teach you how to pray. But the Bible says that we are to call out. David said this. He said, where are we? Oh, there we are. Um, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me in his, from his holy hill. And I love the word there, cried aloud. This is the picture of a man who was distressed. This was no quiet English prayer. This was a full-bodied full African cry. <laughs> Amen? It was, a, it was a cry, it was a shout, because he was desperate. And I want to encourage you, cry out in times of difficulty. Cry out in times of discouragement. Cry out in times of despair. Jeremiah 29 12 says this, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. This is a promise from scripture. May the Lord hear your prayers in Jesus name. Remember that God cares. Remember to call on God. Thirdly, remember your confidence is in God. Remember that your confidence is in God. David said, I lay down and slept and I woke again, but the Lord sustained me. 
How does a man whose family is in disarray, how does a man whose life is in danger, how does a man who everything around him is going crazy, how does he lie down and sleep? It's because he knows that God is in control. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what is giving you sleepless nights. But my prayer is that you will know that God who sustains you and keeps you and watches over you, that you will take whatever it is and give it to him and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust the creator of the universe. I trust the one who spoke the stars into space. I trust you. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Not long ago, I found myself in the middle of a battle and I wanna share it with you this morning. It was halfway through COVID actually. I was experiencing some symptoms health-wise. And it, it, was, it looked like something I'd dealt with before. So I phoned up the GP and I said to the GP, I said, look, these are my symptoms. Um, I think I know what this is. You know, it's busy times for you guys. There's no need for an appointment. Just write this prescription for me. You need to know I'm a nurse and that's what nurses do. We tell GPs what to do, so. Except my GP said, mm, no, I think you need to come in. I said, but I'm sure you've got so many more, you know, urgent patients you need to. She said, no, just come in. So I went to see the GP and she was examining. I remember looking at her face thinking she looks a little bit concerned. But I thought, uh, she's a young GP. She said, Mrs. Colliosa, I don't think it's what you think it is. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, but to be on the safe side, we'll send you for some tests. So I said, fine. You know, so she sent me for some tests. And I thought maybe in three weeks' time, they'll call me for the test. Anyway, three days' time, I've already got the letter to go in for these tests. I go in for the test, and I didn't think anything of it. And next thing I know, I get a letter from the NHS. And we all know what the NHS letters look like. They're very blue, aren't they? Yeah. Can't miss them. And I opened it, and I remember clearly... I was standing in my study. I opened the letter and the first thing that I saw was a letter heading and it said oncology. I was like, ooh, okay, oncology. Now you need to know my background as a nurse, I specialized in end of life care, palliative care. I've worked as a Macmillan nurse, I've worked in the hospice. But actually you don't need to be any of those things to know what that word means. And as I looked at the letter, a cold sweat came over me my heart began to pound and I felt breathless, I felt suffocated, I was scared. A fear came over me like I'd never known in that moment. And in that moment, I knew what I needed to do. Because as I stood there and closed my eyes and as the fear was overcoming me, what I saw was my hospice where I used to work, but this time what I saw was not me looking after the patients, but I saw myself on the bed and my colleagues looking after me. This is in a split second that picture flashed across my mind. And I knew that this is an attack from the enemy. And so I did what I knew to do. I got on my knees and I began to pray. And I began to declare God's healing 
Not only did I declare God's healing, but I, by the grace of God, I love the Word of God. So I read the Word of God. I try and memorize the Word of God. I allow the Word of God to stay on the inside of me. So that when you're in the middle of the battle, you don't need to scramble around. Immediately, you know where to go. I went straight to the Word of God and I began to declare healing over myself. I began to declare peace over myself. I began to declare, Lord, I trust you. Even if this is the road you want me to walk, I trust you, Lord. God so I will not fear I will not fear what the enemy is going to bring but I'm going to stand upon your word and I began to declare God's word over my life and as I began to declare God's word over my life God just dropped a song into my heart and it's a song that says Jesus you are greater you are greater than it all he said Lord I believe you rose again so I don't believe that this is the end you have you never fail you have a plan my life you hold within your hands and I sang that line over and over and over and over again he says so I'll walk by faith and not by sight you are my source you are my light in you I live I will not die so you stretch these wings so I can fly and I sang it over myself. I sang it over myself until I was able to stand up and say, I'm ready. I am ready for whatever it is that I'm going to walk through right now. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, the battle is for a season. I stand here completely healed. To God be the glory. I'm fine. I forgot to say that once at the when I was sharing my testimony. I got so many messages. Are you okay? But I'm okay. But I want to leave you with this. And maybe you're here today and you're not in a battle. Well, the time to prepare for battle is now. Be a man of the word. Be a woman of the word. Be a prayer warrior for the Lord. Maybe you're in the battle. Then I want to say endure endurance in the battle remind yourself constantly of the goodness of God that he strengthens you and he fights for you remind yourself to look to him constantly you look to him by looking into his word and maybe you're here and by the grace of God you have exited the battle then I rejoice with you but continue to look to him continue to dig into his word but give him the glory and testify of his goodness. Why don't you stand with me in this place? Let us stand. Just, just lift your hands up. Just lift your hands up as I, as I draw to a close. You know, David left the city. Eventually he came back and he was to reign again. And Absalom died and David lived. But eventually David did die at a good old age. But I know of another king who came from heaven to earth. He walked the face of the earth. He did good. He heals. He sets the captives free. He brings freedom. For they took this king. They, they said all manner of things about him, against him. They took him out of the city and they hung him on a cross. And they crucified him. And the enemy thought that, oh, have won. 
but what they did not know that they were crucifying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because you see yes they crucified him but on the third day after they buried him he rose again and he sits today at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for you and for me so why don't you give him a round of applause in this place and give him the glory that's due his name whether you're in a battle whether you're exiting a battle or on your way into one it is a time to lift your hands in this place and say thank you Lord thank you Lord for your glory thank you for your grace thank you for your faithfulness Lord God we thank you for your goodness and I know my time is gone but I want to say to you if you're walking through a battle right now then I'm sure there are people who are going to pray for you and I want to say to you just come to the front and I'm going to encourage the ministry team to just come and lay hands is that all right also if you're here I mentioned about looking on to Jesus to look onto Jesus is to recognize Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because that's when he holds on to you. So I don't know if you're here and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, come forward and whisper it to somebody and they will lead you in a prayer that you've never given your life to Christ, you're not born or maybe you've walked away from God. Today is the day that God is calling you back. For the rest of us, let us just begin to give God the glory. Why don't you walk out here if you want to be prayed for? In Jesus' name.